Oh man, okay, we got whole families out today because of sickness. There's just bugs going around like crazy, uh, but, and we have an Amber Alert, San Antonio, that's sad. Okay, all right, we are continuing today in our series through the Gospel of John. Um, This series has been all about love and truth, and we're getting to know uh, Jesus and, and who he truly is as the preexistent Son of God who came um, as the Word, right? The Word became flesh, and he is the light of the world. That's what we've been learning about. And today we're going to be continuing. We're going to be learning about the witness, which is my title for the sermon today. Um, we'll go ahead and uh, read our text, and then we'll, we'll pray. This is our, our text. John 1, 19 through 28 is our text for today. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We, give, uh, we need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. This is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray for the families um, that are sick today. We pray that you would be with them right now, comfort them, uh, bring healing to all the kiddos and even the parents who who are starting to get sick. We just pray for that right now. We pray for this Amber Alert that just showed up. Whatever that situation is, God, we pray that you would just step in. And and if there's a child in danger, we pray for safety. God, we uh, we love you so much, and we've we've gathered here today to read your word, to worship you. God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come and and teach us, Lord. not that we wouldn't just learn um, with our minds, but that you would speak to our hearts individually, personally, um, as you as you so often do, Lord. You show us things in these texts that are so um, so personal to each individual here, Lord. Is there there's things that we can learn, um, Lord? We just pray that our hearts would be open to it. God, I pray that you would anoint me with your Holy Spirit to preach your word. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. All right. Identity, right? This is a story all about identity. You have these men who've come and they're asking John, the Baptist, who we'll get into a little bit more in a moment, but they're asking, who are you? Who are you? And identity is a common theme, not just in scripture, but in our lives. We ask questions like, who am I? Uh, How do others view me? What do they think of me? What is my place in this world? Why am I here what am I supposed to do? Right? These are common questions that we ask ourselves. And then, likewise, we ask these sort of questions about others. Right? We, we say, um, you know, I wonder who that person really is. I wonder what they're really like. Um, I wonder why they do things the way they do or act the way they act. Uh, we, um, we often wonder why people... Um, are the way they are, who they are, where they came from, and what are their goals. Um, wherever you go, there's always questions of identity, either about yourself or about others. And, and here we have a story that's all about identity. It's John the Baptist. Who are you? And it seems that there's actually confusion on possibly both sides. Um, it's possible um, that maybe even John the Baptist does not even fully know what his role was. And we'll, we'll talk about that as well. So we have this guy who's preaching in the wilderness, and he's preaching on the other side of the Jordan, and, and people are coming by the thousands to hear him, and they're confessing sin, and they're, they're repenting and getting baptized in this, in this baptism of repentance. And 
the Jewish leaders are concerned. They're like, who is this guy who has such influence, such religious influence at this time? And so they come out and they, they start asking, John, who are you? So let's give a little backstory to who John is. You know, we, we find in, in, from the other Gospels that John the Baptist was born from a priest and his wife, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now, they were pretty old. Not just pretty old, they were real old. Way too old to have kids. Yet God, um, by the angel Gabriel, prophesies to them that they are in fact going to have a child. And that this child would be in the spirit of Elijah. And he would prepare the way of the Messiah. This is, this is his role. This is what he was to do. And yet, um, they, they had some doubt, obviously, because of their age. Yet he grows up as a Nazarite, which means you know, he didn't drink. He spent his whole life devoted to God's word, to, to his, his calling, his whole entire life to his, his calling. And he grows up, and he's 30 years old, and, and we learn also that he is the cousin, basically, of Jesus. And, and Mary, who was um, you know, supernaturally impregnated by God, um, and then you have Elizabeth, who is also supernaturally. I mean, not, it's not a virgin birth, but she is also, it was a miracle that she was pregnant. And so you have these, these two guys at the same age, and they both have um, this important role. John is to prepare the way of Jesus Christ, who is ultimately the Son of God. Well, so John now, um, he's 30 years old, and he knows that it's time to start fulfilling his role to start preaching repentance and to prepare the way of the Lord, to make the path straight, as he says. What we had learned um, last week is we briefly touched on the witness, who is John the Baptist. Um, John 1.6, it says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light but came to bear witness about the light. So John's role ultimately is to be the witness. Not just a witness of Christ. It's important to to note this, that he is the witness. He has a special calling. He has a role that no one else in history um, gets to fulfill. And that is the witness. We get to be witnesses of Christ, a witness of Christ, but he was the witness of Christ. He is the one who gets to say, that is him. That is the Messiah. Follow him. This is the one that we've been preparing ourselves for. This is the one that we've been confessing sin and repenting because we were waiting for his arrival. This is the one. It's a special Calling, And then we see here, he's, he's doing this, he's preparing the way for Jesus. People are repenting, as we saw. And so let's pick up John 1.19. And this is the testimony of John. When the, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Okay. So he's a witness, he has a testimony, he's proclaiming it. People are um, curious about him. And so they send priests and Levites, priests were the ones who would lead the worship in the temple. They would perform the sacrifices and, and so forth. And we find that along with them came the Levites, which Levites is a general term for um, all of those of the tribe of, Le- uh, of Levi, but it's referring here specifically to those Levites who were in service at the time at the temple. So they weren't priests, but they were like temple assistants. More than just temple assistants where they would um, help out with the uh, worship and the sacrifices, they also kind of operated as the temple police, right? So, so this is the priest coming, right? But not just that, they're bringing a whole posse, a whole gang, right? The guys who would be like, hey, like we're, we're here to, to stand and make sure that things are going the way that we want them to go. So this is a little bit intimidating. They're not just a few of them. This is probably many of them all coming together in a large number to question one man. Right? They've been set, sent as like a deputation. And, and we find out that among them, the ones who were the influencers, the ones who were, who, who were making the most impact in this, in this deputation were those of the Pharisees, which was uh, basically a new movement within the Jewish um, 
religion of like ultra right wingers. They took everything extremely literally and they were very legalistic, but it was kind of a grassroots movement. They were, they were having sort of their own revival in a sense. This was a new movement that was moving with a lot of power and they're the ones kind of behind this having a lot of influence and sending out this deputation of priests and Levites and Pharisees to go and question this man. Who are you? Why are you doing the things that you're doing? That was loud. Uh, They want a clear picture of what's happening. So, John responds. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed. I am not the Christ, as the ESV says. Other translations will say Messiah. I am not the Messiah. That's their number one question. They were always looking for the Messiah who was to come, who is to restore the people of God. Um, And they're looking for him. And John says, I am not the Messiah. He is clear in his statement. He does not want you to think that he is the Messiah. He's very clear in his purpose. He says, I am not the Messiah. And then they say in John 121, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Right? So they're asking him, are you Elijah or the prophet? Kind of a weird question. So we need some context here. Why are they asking him, are you Elijah or are you the prophet? Well, it had to do with a couple prophecies that the, the priests, Levites, and Pharisees knew. Malachi 4, 5 through 6 says, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So this prophecy here is that Elijah would come and prepare the way for the Messiah for the day of the Lord. This is a well-known prophecy. And so they knew not to just look for the Christ, the Messiah, but they also knew to be looking for the prophet Elijah's return. Now, Elijah was, you know, arguably one of the most influential prophets in the Old Testament and one of the most unique. He was taken up into heaven on a chariot of fire. He didn't die. And so they're thinking maybe this Elijah will come back on that same chariot, right, and prepare the way of the Messiah. This was the expectation of Um, the Jews at the time. John's response is puzzling because he says, I am not. This has caused some confusion because Gabriel told John's father that he would be in the spirit of Elijah. This was part of the prophecy over John. And Jesus himself says that John the Baptist was indeed in the spirit of Elijah. But why does John say, I am not? John is not a liar, and the Bible does not contradict. So what's going on here? There's two options. Option one, he's saying, I am not the Elijah of your popular expectations. They may have been thinking it would have been literal, fiery chariots from heaven descending, right? This is maybe their expectation. And he's saying, I am not the Elijah of your expectation because John came as a baby like everybody else. Right? He lived a life, a regular life. Well, not regular. He was a Nazarite. It was very different. But he lived a life for 30 years. So he's saying, maybe I'm not the Elijah of your popular expectations. Option two. And I like this one better, and I think it's more consistent with John's personality. He thought of himself as small. He didn't fully realize his own role. He did not fully realize his own calling. Um, He did not fully recognize the significance of his role in the story of redemption. John was unclear of his exact purpose um, in in the entirety of the story. It's interesting, when you look at many of the greatest evangelists in history, they weren't very self aware. Um, They didn't have a lot of pride, and they viewed themselves and their ministry as a lot smaller than it actually was um, because they were humble. And it's opposite of the world today because today I feel maybe more than ever, um, it's all about self. 
It's all about me. It's all about what is my place in this? How can I get credit here? And we even see that in the church. It's like I won't do anything unless I unless it's good for my self-image, unless it's good for, like, my resume, right? Like, we're always thinking about self, and so when we serve in places, it's, it's almost, for our culture, hard to remove our own identity from the service. Like, if this has to be about me, I have to get credit. It has to make me look good, and I won't do it unless it does. John is not even concerned at all with himself. He's concerned with preparing the way for the Lord. The second question they, they ask him is, is not just the, if you are Elijah, which was one of the expectations, but there was a prophecy that had some confusion on it about a prophet who would come in the spirit of Moses, uh, who would be like Moses, essentially. Um, and some believe that that was a reference to the Messiah, and others believe it was a separate prophet. So they're asking maybe, if you're not Elijah, are you the prophet? This other prophet on this text that we're confused about, which is Deuteronomy 18, 18. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require of him. So this is a prophecy that there would be a prophet who would come, kind of in the likeness of Moses, and whoever would reject his words would be rejecting God. That's the idea here. They may have been thinking that this might have been a different prophet than the Messiah, but there were also those who believed this was just a prophecy about the Messiah. We know from Acts 3, Peter says that this prophecy, he quotes Deuteronomy 18, and he says this was, in fact, Jesus. This was the Messiah. So we know that this prophet is really just another name for the Messiah. This is just another prophecy about the Messiah. John's answer is no. It's interesting, his his answers are getting shorter and shorter, right? Are you the Christ? I am not the Christ. Are you Elijah? I am not. Are you the prophet? No. It's clear that John doesn't want to talk about himself. That's not what I'm here to talk about. Stop asking questions about me. And that's why I think it's consistent with his character is he knew that I'm supposed to preach repentance and point people to the Messiah. That's all I can think about. That's all I want to talk about. That's all I want to do. Don't ask me questions about me. I don't want to talk about me. Leave me alone. Let me finish what I'm preaching about, right? Because they're probably interrupting a sermon. That's probably what they're doing, right? And if somebody came in here and was like, hey, Stephen, who are you? I'd be like, uh, Stephen, like, <laughs> can I finish my sermon? <laughs> Uh, it seems that he doesn't want to talk about himself. He's getting shorter with each answer. He wants to witness about the one to come, the Messiah. John one uh, John one twenty two. So they said to him, "Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself?" This is probably how they should have started out. And it's also how we should probably start out when we're trying to get to know people. Without assumptions. Right? Because they just walked in this whole gang. We don't know how many of them were. Could have been, could have been in the hundreds maybe. They're walking up and, hey, are you Christ? Hey, are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? They're making assumptions. And we do that with others, don't we? We look at them and we, we, we judge things about their life and we, we make assumptions about who they are, about what they're all about. They should have just started out by saying, hey, who are you? Who do you say you are? I think we should give people that opportunity as well. Hey, who are you? I'm genuinely asking without assumptions, who are you? So they do that. What do you say about yourself? John 1, 23, he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So John's response is to quote a prophecy in Isaiah of making straight the way of the Lord. He says, I am the voice crying out, make straight the way of the Lord. He just sees himself as a voice, 
not as anybody important, just simply as a voice. Hey, the one who is coming is the Messiah, the king of the universe, God in flesh. Make straight the way of the Lord. Stop being so concerned about who I am and listen to what I'm telling you. God in flesh is coming. In fact, he's already among us. He's already here. Stop asking me who I am. It's interesting, this prophecy in Isaiah, for its original readers and the context for it, was a prophecy about the Israelites being freed from captivity. And as they're making their way back to the promised land, they were to repent and, and, and make straight the paths of the Lord so they could go back into the promised land. That's the original context. But clearly here, John has picked up on another aspect of this prophecy, which was his own calling for the ultimate freedom from exile. Freedom in Christ. You see, he saw here that this wasn't just a physical prophecy, that there was a spiritual connection here. That, that the people were in exile because of sin. And they were to make straight the paths of the Lord to, to get their hearts ready because spiritual freedom was coming. And the true promised land, which is the kingdom of heaven, what was, it was there for them. And so they see here that John's answer is, I'm a voice preparing the way for the Messiah. Make straight the way the Lord, uh, the Lord, prepare your hearts, he's getting at. Because we can enter into something much greater than a physical promised land. We can enter into a spiritual promised land. John one twenty four. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, as we discussed. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet. They don't listen to what he's saying. He's saying, listen up. True spiritual freedom is on the way. The kingdom of God is coming. It's here. It's now. The Messiah is, has come. Prepare your hearts. Why are you baptizing? They're getting caught up some minor detail, and missing the message. Sometimes we do that too. They're not clearly seeing the significance of what John is saying, but they're upset about baptisms. Why are they upset about baptisms? Well, baptism was actually a regular practice for the Jews. They would baptize a Gentile who wanted to join the Jewish faith. So you were being baptized into the Israel family, the Israelite family. But John is not baptizing Gentiles. John is baptizing Jews. So this was insulting to the priests, the Levites, the Pharisees. It's okay for you to say that there's something wrong with the Gentiles. It's not okay for you to say there's something wrong with us. It's okay to say the Gentiles need to become more like us. It's not okay to say that there's something wrong with us and we need to repent and change who we are. John is showing them that they need to be born again even though they have the right bloodline. They need to be born again. This is, that's what baptism represents. Is your old self goes down, your new self comes out. But they're concerned again about the physical act of baptism. And they're missing the spiritual significance of what John is saying. That we're preparing our hearts for the Messiah to come. We're preparing ourselves for the kingdom of God. We're preparing ourselves in repentance for spiritual freedom from the exile of sin. John, however, still has no interest in debating them about his own role or about really the semantics here of baptism. John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. 
even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. He again is like, I don't want to debate you right now on this. Listen to my message. Please just listen. There's one here and now whose sandals I am not worthy to tie, to to strap. It's like you're still not getting it. The Messiah is here. God in flesh is here. The light of the world, the way, the truth, the life is here. And you're concerned about a physical baptism when we're supposed to be getting ourselves ready for a spiritual revival, for salvation through the Messiah. They miss the message. There's a lot we can learn from the witness about being a witness. He's the witness of Christ. We are a witness of what he has done in our own personal lives. Jesus said something about John that was absolutely fascinating to me. John, or sorry, Matthew 11, 11, it says, Truly, this is Jesus speaking, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Two really profound That was my wife, but it was not about a baby. <laughs> about like something I need to pick up. <laughs> Jesus says that no one born of a woman, which is everybody, is greater than John the Baptist. That means John is better than all of the Old Testament prophets. He is greater than them. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Elijah. He's greater than Elisha. He's greater than Isaiah. He's greater than Abraham and, and all the rest. He's greater than anybody who's ever lived. Why would he say that about John? Well, John, I think, was of great character. Um, I think his humility before God was amazing. But more than that, his role was so much more important than Abraham's, Moses, or even Elijah's. His role was to be the one who got to say, there he is. Everybody else got to say, one day he will come. One day there will be salvation through the Messiah, and they had faith, and they looked forward to that. John the Baptist was the greatest Old Testament prophet because he got to point to the Messiah, God in flesh, and say, there he is. But Jesus says the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. How is that possible? Well, our identity is in Christ, and Christ is greater than John. But more than that, he's the witness. But our witness is actually a better one. Because John got to say, there he is. We get to say, here he is. He's, he's changed my life. He's, he's brought a new identity. He lives inside of me. He's made me a new creature. John got to say, there he is. We get to say, here he is. Look at my life. I'm different. He's changed me. And that's a better witness. As hard as that is to believe, because I know you're thinking, well, I'm not as humble maybe as John. I don't have as much influence as him. I'm, I'm, I don't have this role that he had. But you have a personal relationship with Jesus who lives inside you, who dwells with you and in you. And that is an amazing witness and is not something that John or any of the Old Testaments could have said. I think it's pretty amazing. Three things that we can learn about witnessing from the witness. Three things that really stick out to me about John and and I just just believe we need to take these to heart as we 
witness to those around us and ultimately to the city of Austin. John was humble before God. He was humble before God. John did not want to talk about himself. He may have even been a little confused on exactly how significant of a role he had. He was so humble. He just said, I I just am simply a voice proclaiming a message about the one who really matters. And in our witnessing to the world, it has to be of that same heart. I, I don't really matter here. It's not about me. It's about what God has done. He was so humble before God. I pray that we would be humble before God when we witness about Jesus. That we don't boast in our works. We don't boast it like, hey, look how good of a Christian I am. I'm a great witness for Jesus. We are just continually saying, look at what he's done. He has done in my life. Look at what he can do in your life. He is the one who has the power. He is the one that really matters. I am simply a voice telling you about it. That's all. I have, I have nothing to offer you, but he has everything to offer you. We have to have that humility. And I, and I know if you talk to unbelievers that one of the things they will say is that Christians are arrogant or prideful or hypocritical. We have to have humility before God. Second, John, he was humble before God. And second, he was bold before the world. He was bold before the world. I think I have at times, and I, and I, I, I would think that many of you would relate to this, I've had that flip. I've had that flip. I have been not humble before God and not bold before the world. I've stood boldly before God on my own strength at times and then seen how foolish that was. And I have been not humble in a good sense, but Scared in front of the world, right? We are to be humble before God and bold before the world, confident in the message that we are proclaiming. This is the truth. This is the way. And this is the life. And it is all through Jesus. We have to be bold in who Jesus is because the entire message swings on that hinge. Who is Jesus? Everything we do as a church has to be a bold, confident stand on the identity of Christ. And if we ever leave from that, we have nothing to offer the world. Third, John was always on point. He was always on point. He knew what the message was. He knew what he had to proclaim, and he did not let their questions derail his message or get him sidetracked. He didn't get caught up in the questions that didn't matter. He focused on his message. I think that we we could learn from this because it is really easy to talk about ourselves. It's really easy to debate minor details with people. And I think that we do get caught in that. All the while, the person that's sitting there or we're having a conversation with needs to hear the real message, and we're not delivering it because we're getting caught up on, on well, let me, let me talk about myself for three hours. They don't need to hear about you. Right? They need to hear about Jesus. 
They don't need to have every single one of their questions answered. And oftentimes, that's a reason why we don't witness. Well, they're going to ask questions that I can't answer. They're asking John questions, and he had no desire to even try to answer them. He's just like, no, leave me alone. Stop asking me. Let me tell you about Jesus. Stop trying to debate me about the baptism and whether or not this is okay. Listen to what I'm trying to tell you. The one who has all power... And he's come to deliver us from the exile of sin. He's here. He's now. Let's let's repent of our sins and accept him. We get caught up. I'm not saying it's, it's bad to try to answer people's questions. But answering every one of their questions about, you know, every verse of the Bible or every hard question or every archaeological uh, disagreement about the age of certain things in the Bible is not going to save them. Because they go, okay, I guess that, re- that that building really was around the time that they said it was in the Bible. Great. There's no salvation there. Oh, look, we found this coin that proves that David was really the king of Israel. There's no salvation there. Like, we argue about these things. We debate these things with people. We expect that that will somehow save their soul. It won't. And they're good at pieces of evidence, right? I'm not, again, I'm not against it. I'm not against it. But at the end of the day, if, if we're so concerned about trying to make sure that they understand every archaeological, historical, scientific thing that proves the Bible or proves the word, then even if they agree with you, it doesn't mean that their souls are saved. They need to be told about the one who loves them so, so much. The one who created them. Who they've rejected because of their sin. Who came in the flesh to live a perfect life dies the perfect sacrifice on their behalf we have to get to the point you guys and then he rose again to give them new life and eternal life we have to get to the message there has been at times where the church gets so caught up in either the proof for things or they get so caught up in just having conversations with people that they never get around to the actual message you're not witnessing to someone when you say that you're a Christian you're not witnessing to them when you say I voted Republican (laughs) or Democrat whatever uh You're not witnessing to them when you say, hey, my kids go to a Christian school. You're not witnessing to them when you say, hey, I believe that the Bible is true. You're not witnessing to them when you talk about creation or or intelligent design. You're only truly witnessing when you tell them about Jesus. And what he has done in your life and what he can do in their lives. That's witnessing. That's the message. That's where the power is. That's where they can be saved. And I, I have made the mistake where I have known people for a very long time, but never gotten around to that part of it. And I thought, well, I'm, I'm being an influence in their life. I'm, I'm being a light in their life. They're seeing that not all Christians are crazy. Those are good, fine things. But if I don't get around to the truth of the message, they can't be saved. And I have seen people die before I got around to it. And as much as I swear I would never let it happen again, it it has. Right? There's been people where I go, ah, next time I see them. you want to be a witness for Jesus, you have to talk about Jesus. You want to be a light to the darkness, you have to show them the true light. (laughs) 
John's witness is worthy of our imitation. His humility before God, his boldness before the world, and how he was always on point. So let's imitate it. Let's go out. You know, like look at our church day. We have a lot of people out of sick, but even if they were all here, we're still a really small church, right? <laughs> like, but John was one man. And look at the influence he had. Large numbers do not always mean great influence. Because there's large numbers gathering for all sorts of things. Right? Large numbers does not automatically mean great influence. Which is good because we don't have them. (laughs) And we're believing in faith that God is going to use Austin Chapel to reach the city of Austin. We're here to disciple believers to a higher calling and to bring unbelievers to know the freedom they can have in Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. We want believers to experience freedom so that they can go and help others experience freedom. Because that's it's a two-part thing because so many believers are, are, are still stranded in their, their sin in one form or another. And they, they, they feel like they have no right to share. And so we want all of us to be experiencing life-changing freedom and confessing our sin and moving past it so that we can be better influences to the world. But let me tell you, even if you're the least in the kingdom of heaven, even if you're like, I think I'm the worst here, (laughs) like, right? And some days I feel like that's me, right? Even if you feel like I'm the worst one, Jesus says that your witness is still greater than John's witness because you get to say, here he is. He's dealing with me. He's showing me patience, mercy, grace, and love despite how I keep turning my back on him, despite how I, I go back to my, the vomit like a dog. Despite the mistakes that I don't even realize I'm making, despite how I stick my foot in my mouth and say the wrong thing, despite all of those things, I can still say, look, I can brag on my weakness. Look at how awful I am. Jesus still loves me. He can love you too. So even if you feel like you're weak in your witness, Jesus can use it. John was one man preaching in a desert, and people came to him. Because that's how much influence he had. Preaching in a desert, and people started gathering like, He's probably just preaching on the road, and like one person's like, "Oh, that's crazy! I gotta tell so and so about that." And then they're like, "Hey, we gotta we gotta go get some more people, right?" <laughs> like, it's preaching in the wilderness, and people come and they they hear, and they receive, and they confess, and they repent. You might be one person at your workplace. You might be the only Christian in your family. God can use you and, and have great influence in those people's lives, even if you're just one. And I'm believing in faith that though we are small in number, God wants us to be great in influence. Amen? I wouldn't be doing this if it was just like community. I was listening to something recently, and, and the guy who was speaking, he was challenging. He's like a leadership thing he was doing. And he's challenging leaders like, communicate the purpose of your church well and often. And he, he said something, I, I would hope it's not true of our church, but it probably, it probably could be, is that leaders will think that the church knows why we do what we do, and that if you went and surveyed the church, they would give you different answers than the leader would. And he said sometimes even the other leaders give different answers than the main leader. Why are we here, church? Why do we do the things we do? Why do we gather on Sundays? Why do we go out and have community groups? Why do we try to build relationships with unbelievers and and, and share the gospel with them? Why do we do all this? Anybody? Christ loves us. Amen. Our vision is that people would find life-changing freedom in Christ Jesus. 
We're not here for community. It's a good part of it. It's certainly a part I like. And it's a certainly a, a, a part of how we help people experience life-changing freedom. But we're not here for it. I can join a tennis club, a golf club, and find community. It wouldn't be Christ-centered community. But nonetheless, it would be friendship. Why did I pick the most pretentious sports? We're not here just to sing songs or listen to Stephen try to teach God's word. We're here to experience life-changing freedom. Help others experience life-changing freedom. We come together on Sundays, we confess our sin, we repent, we move forward, and we invite others to come and hear about him. So they can confess their sin, repent of it, and move forward in their life, in their journey. And so, you know, how are we doing on time? Okay. We've been praying about what to do with community groups, right? And I don't know. Right? We have five community groups, and I've just been praying, like, Lord, show us what to do. Because sometimes I feel like our community groups can just talk in circles, or we gather and it's just for friendship. It's not getting real and deep enough. And you know what? Like, I've been realizing is that it's a, it's not an issue of what time we meet, how we meet, where we meet, it's an issue of culture where maybe we're not feeling like we can be real and honest and open up with people. It's a culture and a heart issue if we're not truly experiencing freedom during community. Not, it's not a, like a time issue, a place issue. So there might be things we could uh, adjust, and we've been praying through that as, as a leadership. And we, I don't have anything to announce if you're expecting an announcement, but... We're just praying. And, and, and the thing is, and I, w- I would challenge you with this, is for us to have more of an influence in the city, we have to be more humble before God. We need to be a church that continually and regularly is repenting of our sin. You know that's not a one-time thing that you do. It should be an everyday thing that you do. I recently, and I won't go into all the details, but I recently experienced uh, the sin of envy in a way that I don't normally, like, it's not something I normally struggle with. Like, I certainly have struggles, but, like, envy is not normally something that I struggle with. And it wasn't even about materialistic things. It was more of an opportunity thing. And, like, I found myself envious to the point where I was almost wishing ill on a situation. You ever done that? You find yourself so envious that you're almost hoping that something goes bad for the other, the other party. And I, God just hit me. Like, what is wrong with you? I, I fell to my knees and I just prayed and I repented. I said, Lord, I don't know what that is. It's disgusting. Free me from it. He did. Took it away and I started to experience joy. We need to repent regularly, church. Because that's what we're calling the world to do. If we're going to be bold and say, Jesus is so good, he's so much better than all that other junk, you need to repent of it and, and accept him. But if that's not like what we're regularly doing, if we're not in the practice of regularly casting aside sin, casting aside all else and saying it's not as valuable as him. He is the most valuable. He is the one that is deserving of all. He is where I'm going to find my joy, my peace, my, my happiness, all of it is in him. We're not even doing that. How can we expect the city of Austin to? I'll challenge you during community afterwards, if you want to pray with somebody, like pray with them. Ask somebody for prayer. Our, our leaders, you know, we, we 
We have leaders here that are not judgmental people. They want to pray with you. If, if you go to community group, be the one who initiates deeper community. Don't wait for the leader to always do it. Initiate deeper community. Ask real questions. Ask questions about the other person. Right? Ask them, are you doing okay? How can I pray for you? Instead of going, because what we do sometimes is we say, well, our community is this or that. Nobody's asking me how I'm doing. Nobody's doing this. Have you done it? Because the Bible says that the leaders are to equip the saints for ministry, which means that you guys have to do ministry. It's not the leaders who do all the ministry. It's we, as a church, practice the one another's of Scripture. We have to love one another. We have to ask real questions. We have to do our part to go into deeper community. I won't ramble anymore. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all that you have done in our church and all that you want to do in our church, God. Thank you for each individual here. Lord, thank you for every opportunity that you have given us. Lord, I pray that you would, at this time, if there is sin that maybe we're not even aware of or sin that we've closed you off from, Would your Holy Spirit convict us in a strong way right now? A way where we just say, God, you're right. What does matter with me? Help me. I'm so weak. I'm so messed up. Lord, would you help us be a a more real community, a place where freedom is truly experienced, a place where when others come in, they don't feel judged They don't feel like we're making assumptions about them. They feel like they can walk in and say, this place is real. People are being real and they still love each other. A place where they would experience our love, but more importantly, they would experience the Holy Spirit. They would experience God's love. Lord, send that. And in any way that we can facilitate that so that people can experience your love, true, real love. Help us, Lord. I don't know what I'm doing. We don't know what we're doing, but but you do. You know exactly what you want to do. Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom, that that you would give us confidence, that you would give us boldness as we, as a church plant here in Austin, Texas, be a witness to the city. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.